Now, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter, but we're only going to read the first 11 verses for the sake of time. Again, that is 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to be looking at a whole chapter, but we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you would please stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired word. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So, Sam, so Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talam, 200,000 men on foot and, and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction." The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and to hear it read. Father, I pray that you would come and you would speak to us now Holy Spirit, that you would give us understanding and that we would hear a word from you and not from man. We say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Go take out the trash. Clean up your room. These are words like we spoke with the children that we have heard many times in our lives or we have spoken them as parents. And when I was a kid, when I was a child, I would generally respond with, I'm coming, or one minute. And it was usually because I was knee-deep in a Super Nintendo game like Mario or something like that, and I really had to finish the level because I couldn't save it. But my parents never understood that. They never thought that was a good reason. And to be honest, it's not. But what I, when I heard what my parents said, I was content to do what they asked, but on my time, and not on their time. It was only after many stern looks and words and whippings that I learned that obedience meant doing what they said, when they said it, and how they said it. Well, this morning, we will see because the Lord has spoken, we must obey His voice. And we obey the voice of the Lord by carefully following His commandments, by recognizing the weight 
of our sin and by practicing true repentance. Look with me at verses 1 through 9 and we'll see our first point that we need to obey God's voice by carefully following his commands. Saul is the first king of Israel and he's addressed here by Samuel the prophet who is also the last of the judges. This is a transition time for Israel. They're going from one form of government to another. So we are brought into this story by the immediate message of Samuel to the king. Samuel reminds Saul in verse 1 of the authority that God has given him to proclaim God's message to Saul. Saul is not king due to his heritage. He is king because God sent Samuel to anoint him as king. He is king because of God's choice, and so he has to submit to God's word. It's Saul's duty as a king to carry out God's decrees and carry out the commands that the Lord hands down from Samuel. Samuel then tells Saul that the Lord is commanding him to devote the entire nation of Amalek to destruction. Now this is a phrase that was used all throughout the book of Joshua and the book of Numbers. It described the warfare of the Israelites when they took the land of Canaan that God had given them. You see, the people, they were to be instruments of God's judgment. They were to enact divine justice and wrath on the people that only God told them to. So there were certain cities and nations that God told the people to utterly destroy and take no plunder from. God says that it is time for Saul and his armies to be instruments of God's wrath on the Amalekites. And God isn't telling Saul to do this without cause. God isn't telling Saul to do this because God was angry that day and he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's doing this because he tells us in verse 2 that God has remembered how the Amalekites attacked the weary Israelites on their way out of Egypt to the promised land in Exodus chapter 17. See, the Lord promises then that he will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from history. The Lord is mediating divine justice on the enemies of his people. This is what God does. The Lord tells Saul that everything is to be devoted to destruction, that he has not to spare anyone or any animal. Saul is to be the instrument that God uses to carry out his promise from Exodus. This is a privilege for Saul. He gets to carry out the word of God. He should have been eager to not only do this, but to actually obey the Lord. So Saul musters his forces. He prepares 210,000 men to go, and they lie in wait for the people of Amalek. But before Saul attacks, he sends out a warning. He goes to the Kenites, and he tells them to leave. Now look with me at verse 6, because it's important to see how Saul warns them. In verse 6, he says, Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, go down from the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed and from among the Amalekites. Literally, he's saying, lest I gather you with them. See, Saul doesn't want to take all those people that showed kindness to the Israelites and gather them with God's enemies. He knows that he's coming with a heavy hand of destruction. He knows what he's about to do. He understands the command of God. So the Kenites heed the warning and they leave, and Saul begins his campaign. He defeats the Amalekites all the way from Hevelah, which is in the south of Israel, to Shur, which is east of Egypt. It's close to the eastern border of Egypt. This is great success that God has given him. 
That's a big military campaign. That wasn't a battle that was easily won. But we are told in verse 8 and 9 that Saul did not obey the voice of the Lord. It seems like he is. It seems like he's doing everything God told him to do. But here, there's a hiccup. We're told in verses 8 and 9 that Saul took Agag alive, but devoted the rest of the people to destruction. Not only that, but they took the best of the animals. All that was good, and when the text explicitly says they were supposed to utterly destroy them, but they didn't do that. Saul and the people, what Saul and the people despised and was worthless, that's what they devoted to destruction. They saw the things that they couldn't use, and they said, yeah, we'll give that to God. It spells out clearly that Saul was disobeying the voice of the Lord. He was told that everything and everyone was to be devoted to destruction. The nation of Amalek was to be utterly destroyed. Instead, Saul picks and he chooses what to obey. He decides to understand God's command in the way that is best for him. We do this too sometimes. At times we can read the scripture or we can hear a sermon and we can feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and we can find other ways to understand it. We think, well, God clearly didn't mean this. And it's all right as long as I don't do that a lot. Sometimes we can treat the scripture like it's a McDonald's pick three meal. We can pick what we want, we can take what we want, and we can obey what we want. But instead, we have to follow the Lord's commands. Sometimes we seek to make the word of God easier to understand. We try to bring it down to our standards instead of praying and ask the Holy Spirit to help us obey God the way that he's spoken. We are to search the scripture and carefully understand and obey God's voice. We're not allowed to understand the word of God in the way that's easiest to us. See, without the spirit of God, this would be impossible. But, beloved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. You have God himself inside you, helping you to obey God's word. Hearing that you must obey the voice of the Lord is a hard task. But you have God to help you. We must lean on Him and allow Him to aid us in obeying God's Word and ask Him to help us rightly understand it. So whenever you're in school, or at least at my school, you can't understand the requirements of a paper or an assignment the way that you want to. You can't look at the due date and say, oh, that's just a suggestion. You can't look at the page limit at eight pages or 10 or whatever it is, and say, well, that just means around 8. Like, if I get the first sentence on the 8th page, I've got it, and I'm going to get full credit. If we try that, one of two things is going to happen. We either get points taken off, or we just get a flat-out zero. And when we go to our teacher and we say, hey, why did I get a zero on my assignment? The teacher will say, because you didn't follow the directions. You didn't read the syllabus. You didn't do what I said. Likewise, we don't get to look at God's word and say, well, that doesn't really mean you can't ever do these things, and that doesn't ever mean this and that. We are to read God's word and follow his teachings. So we should carefully study the scriptures. God has made his voice known. You hold it in your lap right now. You are able to sit and to read the voice of the living God every day, any day, and you can know what he requires of us. I can't remember if it's this one. I know it's this one. This says, you do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. 
This is what Christ said to the Pharisees. He said, you do wrong because you don't know the Scriptures. You know all these man-made traditions, but you're not reading the Scripture. Jesus tells us that that is how we do wrong. Don't relax the commandments of God. If you feel inadequate to fulfill them, take heart. That's why Christ came. Christ came to fulfill the law in our stead and to give us the Holy Spirit so that we can obey him in faith to save us from our sins. So let's lean on the Holy Spirit and seek for careful obedience. So we obey the voice of the Lord by carefully following his commands. And secondly, we see that we obey the voice of God by recognizing the weight of our sins. Look with me at verses 10 through 23. So the Lord speaks to Samuel and he expresses his sorrow for anointing Saul as king. The Lord is grieved at his choice for two reasons. First, because Saul has turned away from following the Lord. And secondly, because he has not performed his commandments. See here in verse 11, God is telling Samuel that he is greatly grieved by Saul's sin. We see this same sort of grieving in the same sort of situation in Genesis 6.6. You don't have to turn there, but if you remember, God says that he is grieved and he regrets that he has made man because man's thought is iniquity all the day long. You see, he was not grieved in the sense that God regretted his decision or he wanted to change the past. No, God was heartbroken that his creation, and here he's heartbroken that his chosen king has decided not to follow him and decided to go away. You see, the sin of mankind and the sin of God's people, it grieves him to the heart because he takes it so seriously. When we understand the severity of disobedience to the voice of the Lord, we are quicker to obey him. We need to remember that whenever we sin, we are grieving the heart of God. When we love God as our Father, we will try not to grieve Him. We will be quick to seek to not disobey, but to obey His commandments. And we also see in verse 11 that Samuel's anger is greatly kindled. And in his anger, he cries out to the Lord the whole night. He was, he was against the kingship from the start. If you remember the story of when Saul is king, he says that if you get a king, he's going to take your sons, he's going to tax you, he's going to do all these things. Samuel knew what the people were going to do with the king. He didn't want to make the king in Israel, but he followed the Lord's command. Saul was the chosen man of God, and Samuel was wrestling with God's choice and with the consequences that Saul's sin was going to cause on the nation. So after a night of crying out to God, Samuel goes to find Saul. We see this in the verses that we did not read. He goes and he, he, goes and he sees a monument to Saul's victory on Carmel, just showing Saul's hubris. And Saul's uh, uppityness. And then he goes and he finds Saul in Gilgal. Samuel meets Saul, and Saul thinks that nothing is wrong. And he insists that he has fulfilled the commandments of God. Samuel questions him about the sheep and the oxen. And the oxen instead, he says this in verse 14. And Samuel said, What is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? He's saying, instead of obeying the voice of the Lord, You've listened to the voice of a sheep and an oxen and the voice of these people. See, and Saul's response, it speaks volumes for Saul. Here's what Saul says in verse 15. Saul said, They have brought from them the, from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. 
There are two things in this answer that Saul gives that tell a lot about Saul's character. First, he blames the people. It was the people that wanted to keep these animals alive for the Lord. He misses the fact that he is the king. He is the leader of the tribes of Israel, a fact that Samuel reminds him of in verses 17 and 18. He also says that while the rest were devoted to destruction, as if his partial obedience made up for his disobedience. But Samuel, he's not swayed. Saul is just trying to use an excuse for his sin. He's trying to blame the people. And he's trying to say that it was for God. He does this again in verses 20 and 21 after Samuel questions him again. And we do the same thing so often. We think, I know I've messed up, but it's okay because I was at everything at church. I did all these good things this week, so I think I'm good. See, our problem is not that we take sin too seriously. It's it's that we don't take it seriously enough. We don't see our sin as something that breaks the heart of God when we do it. And what's worse is that sometimes we try to cover it up with our obedience in other areas. It is one thing to be seeking to obey the Lord and to fall into sin because we're still sinners. It is quite another thing to cover up our disobedience with all the good things that we have done for God. Saul is showing that he understood God's command, but he just didn't care to follow it. The second thing that also speaks volumes for Saul is that he says, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord your God and not the Lord our God. Saul, Samuel picks up on this in his poetic announcement of God's displeasure later in verses 23, 22 and 23. He asks if God delights more in sacrifices or obedience and then answers that question in verse 23. He says this in verse 23, Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, to listen better than the fat of rams. He says that Saul's sin of rebellion and presumption is as bad as divination and idolatry. Those were capital crimes in Israel. This shows that Saul has not just rejected the commands of God, but he's rejected God. He has thrown the Lord out the window. All of Saul's sacrifices, his worship services, his excuses couldn't hide the fact that he only served God in appearance in appearance, and not in spirit and in truth. Because of Saul's rejection of the divine king, God had rejected Saul as his king. We see that he says that he is going to give, he's going to give the kingdom into one of his neighbors. We see this sometimes. Sometimes we can come to church and we can look so nice, we can have everything together. We can sing the songs without much meaning. We can know the creed, and we can know the catechism. And our hearts can be distracted. So we need to pray, we need to stop, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us focus. We all get distracted at times. We all think of other things. But we need to focus on the Lord. We need to not offer lip service to God, but true worship. We need to understand the weight of our sin. And instead of letting it cripple us, let us run to our Savior, who has saved us from that sin. And let us try not to grieve the heart of God. So a long time ago, not that long ago, because I'm not that old, but I used to do landscaping with Caroline's dad. That was probably one of the first real jobs I think I ever had. But part of what we did is we would put bands on trees, and then we would go and we would put this gooey thing on the trees, and the bugs would come down and they would get stuck on the trees. It's something people wanted to do because it would eat the, the leaves. So part of the job was... The, I think it's in the spring, we had to go back and we had to take all those bands off the trees. So I was driving, I was doing, I was doing my job, I thought I was doing it right. 
Her dad had given me a whole list, and I was supposed to go to all these places. Then I get a call, and Stuart, her dad, says, where you at? And I tell him where I'm at. I'm over in Charlotte somewhere, and, he, and I just hear, why are you there? I gave you a route to follow, and I thought, oh, no. I've done it wrong. I have, I have messed up. And I said, don't worry. I'm going to get it all done. And so I looked at the guy next to me, the guy who was helping me that day. I said, listen, we're finishing this. I'm not going home and looking at Caroline's dad and saying, I didn't get it done. We're doing this. So we finished it. We got it done, and I, it, was, it was starting to get dark, and I got back, and I, and I had it done. The reason why I had it done is not because I was scared that my boss was going to be mad at me. I didn't want to make Caroline's, my future father-in-law, I didn't want to make him mad at me. I didn't want him displeased with me. And it's the same way with the Lord. When we understand how much our disobedience, it grieves the heart of God, it should move us to want to bring gladness and delight to the heart of God. We should see the weight of our sin. We, should, we don't try to cover it up to make it less offensive to God. God knows what we're doing when we do that. God knows all things. It's, we can't pull the wool over God's eyes. He sees it whenever we try to do that. Instead, when we see how much our sin grieves God, we should be motivated to obey Him. Whenever we are tempted to get frustrated with our children, with our coworkers, with our spouse, remember that we're grieving our Father as well as them. We should seek to obey the Lord and to please Him so that we might bring, like I said, delight to the heart of God and not grief. When we love someone, the last thing we want is for their heart to be broken. We want them to be happy. We want them to have, we want them to have delight. And it should be the same way with God. We don't work for God's good standing. We work because we love our Lord and we love our Father. So we see that we obey the voice of the Lord by carefully following His commands, by recognizing the weight of our sin, and lastly, by practicing true repentance. Our final, ver- our final point is seen in verses 24 through 34. So Saul seems to understand after Samuel confronts him that he has sinned before the Lord and broken his commandments. And we see in verse 26 that Samuel is still not convinced that Saul gets it, that Saul sees the weight of his sin and the consequences that are going to come. Samuel tells Saul that he is not going to return with him to worship the Lord. And and Saul and Samuel repeats his declaration of Saul's rejection of God's word and God's rejection of him from verse 23. Saul is trying to save face in front of the people. He knows that in Israel, if you have a broken relationship with the prophet, the people are not going to take you seriously. He knows that he has to have a good showing of a good relationship with Samuel. It's almost as if Saul goes up to him and says, all right, look, I get it. I messed up. But let's just let everything go back to normal. Let's just, you you and me, let's go back. Let's let everybody see that we're happy and we're good. And then Samuel seems to say, you don't get it. God has rejected you. He's no longer with you. See, Samuel is not satisfied with the sincerity of Saul's confession. He knows that it's all on the surface. God gives a sign to Samuel in verse 26 and 27. As Samuel is turning to leave, Saul grabs the skirt of his robe in verse 27 and it tears. And Samuel turns in verse 28 and he tells Saul, that God has torn the kingdom from him and he is going to give it to one of his neighbors, someone that is better. He's speaking of David, who's going to be anointed in the next chapter as king. The Lord has not only rejected Saul, but he is going to get a new king who's going to be a man after God's own heart. 
Then Samuel tells the Lord, then Samuel tells Saul that the Lord, the glory of Israel, will not lie nor regret. For he is not a man that should have regret. Now, this is the same word that is used in verse 11. So is Samuel talking out of both sides of his mouth, or is there something else to be seen here? In verse 11, as we saw earlier, God is saying that he is grieved to the heart of the sin of Saul and with what that sin is going to do to Israel. But see, God doesn't take back his choice. God doesn't change. He doesn't depose Saul right then and right there. Saul lives out his life. And in 1 Samuel 31, he dies on the battlefield with his son Jonathan. In verse 29, Samuel is saying that God has placed this judgment on Saul and it's not going to change. He says, Saul, this is my decision and it's not going to change. Because God doesn't go back on his word. He stands by his promises and he stands by his judgments. When you read the Bible, you can know that the glory of Israel, Almighty God, is not going to take back one period of the Bible because he stands on his word. Samuel, so then Saul comes and he gives a more candid confession. He says that he sinned, but he still wants Samuel to honor him with the elders and the leaders of Israel. Again, it might be a little bit more candid, but Saul still, he just wants to save face. He just wants people to think that everything's okay. We know this because if you look at verses 34 and 35, when Samuel and Saul, when they depart from one another, it says in verse 35, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel was grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Again, it's saying that both Samuel and the Lord are grieved over Saul. We can tell that Saul didn't repent because God took away the word of God from him. Samuel was the way that these people got the word of God. He's the way that they heard God's voice. And Samuel never saw Saul again. They never, ever met. You see, if Saul had truly repented, he might have still lost the kingship, but he wouldn't have been cast from God's presence. He wouldn't have had Samuel never talk to him again and never give him the word of God again. Another way that we see that Saul didn't truly repent is that we see in verses in verse 32 and 33, that it is Samuel that finishes the task that Saul was given and not Saul. When Samuel finally does go up with Saul in verses 31 and 32, he asks for Agag to be brought before him. So Agag comes to him in verse 32 and it says, and Agag says, surely the bitterness of death is past. Agag doesn't think anything's going to happen. Agag is cheery, he's happy, he thinks everything's good. But then in verse 33, we see what happens. And Samuel says to him, As your sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Samuel finishes what Saul started. He finishes what Saul was supposed to do. The point is, this is Saul's job. True repentance involves obedience. When we truly repent before the Lord, we seek to obey him. We look and we find ways to actually carry out his commands. When I first started dating Caroline, her parents had a 10, I think it was 10 o'clock was the curfew. And I got her home once at 10.15. Wasn't good. So her mom was not happy. And I understand. she got to get her home. So I, I apologized. And I looked at Caroline and I said, we're going to get home 15 minutes before they want you home. I did that to show that I actually care about the rules that her parents set in place. 
And that's what we do. When we repent, we give, we obey God. We don't just say, God, you know, I'm really sorry, and I'll try not to do it again. We recognize the weight of our sin, we repent, and we seek to obey the Lord. So how will we respond to his voice this morning? Will we brush it off? Will we not listen? Or will we truly repent of our wrongs? Will we see when we mess up and when we fall, and we understand that God is a God of grace? He forgives. He picks us up and he dusts us off. And he walks with us in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the good things that you give us. We pray that you would help us to obey you, help us to focus on you, help us to see your glory. Lord, also help us to see that you are a loving God who who helps us to repent. Lord, that you have given us Jesus Christ to be the true king, to be the one that never disobeys and that never, ever leaves us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us Christ. We pray that you would be with us now as we go out into this world. We say these things in Christ's name. Amen.